Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. 25 years ago, American pop culture was introduced to a group of six 20-somethings living in Manhattan. Over the course of the next quarter century, fans have followed the show throughout its original run and through syndication and digital streaming. The show attracts viewers of all kinds, but many never admit it. So plug in your transponder, make sure to pivot, and cover your nubbin. It's time for Sports Dudes Who Dig Friends, a Pop 6 podcast. Well, this is going to be interesting. Welcome in. Pop 6, here courtesy of 104.5 The Zone. You know me, I'm Jason Martin, host of The Big Six, editor-in-chief of The Big Six blog at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog. So earlier this week, I pitched this idea because we're going to talk a lot of pop culture on this show for on a weekly basis, and there's going to be plenty of current stuff when it's relevant. Like when The Avengers comes out, we're going to talk a whole lot of Marvel. And True Detective, we're going to talk about continuing as we move forward. And Game of Thrones, we're going to talk about once the final season hits. Again, the most ridiculous Sunday ever is coming up as Game of Thrones final season premieres on the same day as Sunday at Augusta and Palm Sunday. I have no idea how that week's going to play out. Also, Tennessee spring game, I think, is like the day before. So it's going to be a crazy weekend there. But there's a lot of stuff happening. There are over 550 new scripted shows that premiered last year on television and streaming services. Over 550. Full disclosure, I did not watch all 550 of those shows. So I am limited by what I've seen. Same thing as saying, what are your top five albums of the year? Well, of the 20 that I heard, here are the five best. No critic that, that claims to have seen it all can see it all. But I think that's why... We're sitting here today, 24-plus years after the premiere of a situation comedy that took place in New York on NBC that every single person within the sound of my voice has seen, has talked about, has tried to claim maybe at some point that they did not care about, but all of you did. And that's why we're here, because Netflix has just paid over $100 million to keep it available because of the outcry when it was revealed that they were going to take it off their streaming services. Netflix raising prices. There were people that were threatening to leave the service because this show disappeared. That show, you heard the music on the way in, is Friends. And to do this, I was thinking, all right, we'll do a Friends podcast. And I mentioned that at the end of the the, uh, first Pop 6 a couple of weeks ago, and then... I realized I can't do this alone because as big a fan of the show as I have been and as much as I look at it and credit it for many of the shows that have tried to imitate it since, there's another dude in the building who's a good friend of mine that is a bigger Friends fanatic than I am, and that's Brad Willis, the program director here at 104.5 The Zone, who I would say every other day there is a Friends reference made. Oh, easily. Because you just can't help yourself i i don't know why i don't know how it started a little bit i remember a little bit of how it started i guess my my younger sister was a huge friends fan and in 1994 when the show debuted i wasn't really interested in watching friends or or anything else on must-see tv on nbc but for some reason friends grabbed me before the end of the first season and i think i caught the the remainder of the first season through the reruns that that were happening in the spring as we were waiting for season two to get started. And from that point on, I was hooked so much so that a, a couple of years ago, my wife told me, she said, you know, we should, we should cut the cord. We should get rid of cable. And I called about it and they said, well, we can give you a, you know, a smaller plan. Oh yeah. What, 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 what would that plan be? And it did not include Nickelodeon. And you think, well, okay, Brad kept Nickelodeon for his kids, but that's not true. Brad kept Nickelodeon for friends at Nick at night. And, that, you know, that's how old are we? Nick at night when I was growing up, I'm watching, I'm watching Dennis the Menace, Mr. Ed, Mr. Ed, Green Acres, Dobie Gillis, Dobie Gillis, uh, Patty Duke was rolling at the time. Do you remember Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp? 
Maybe, but I don't think I actually watched an episode of that. Yeah, there were maybe three. But they, now, Nick at Night is everything that I watched. Oh, yeah. And now I realize, oh, when I was watching that stuff and my parents were just, oh, I remember my three sons. We're old. We are. Yeah. What's the show? This is a little bit of an aside. You know the show that I remember watching as a kid that my parents actually let me watch because every joke went over my head? That when I watched later in life, I realized, wow, that was pretty edgy. That one for me was Three's Company. Yeah, Three's Company pushed the envelope. Three's Company, and, and, and in many respects, I have a love for Three's Company that that closely mirrors my love for Friends. Wow, Mr. Roper. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. I like I said. I I, I was exposed to it from an early age. I was it's exposed just, to it because it ran before World Championship Wrestling on CBS right, a lot of times right. on Saturday night. So I'd hear, "Can you knock on my door?" <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> right before it was time to watch the grapplers of the day. But I was looking at the must see TV lineup on Thursday night, which is really what you know the milkshake that brought everybody to the yard for right. NBC in the eighties, in the mid eighties, Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, Night Court, which is a vastly underrated show, and then Court. LA Law. And LA Law was bona fide everybody watched LA Law. Now I it was a little bit too, I was a little bit too young for it. My mom watched it religiously. Then the Cosby show got its own spin off, a different world. Cheers was still there. And then although it wasn't a spin off of Cheers, it was basically the exact same show and it took place in an airport. It was called Wings and it's one of my all time favorite comedies. And it had Tim Daly and it had Tony Shalhoub and, and Stephen, Stephen Bauer and all these guys that were just incredibly talented. And then came 1993, and then you started to see some things change. Now, Seinfeld came around in the fall between 92 and 93, and it was Wings, and then Seinfeld replaced it midseason. That was sort of when Wings moved. 93, Mad About You, Wings, Seinfeld, Frasier comes around, which was... Still probably the greatest spinoff we've ever seen. And then L.A. Law and Homicide came around. Then, 94-95, Mad About You, and then this show called Friends, followed by Seinfeld, and then something called Mad Mad Man of the People, which I have no idea what it is. And then a little show called ER premiered that year as well. So we may have to look up Mad Man of the People, but Friends began in the 830 slot. Then something called Hope and Gloria started, and Friends was moved to the 9.30 slot by the end of that season. And then it became the 8 o'clock show starting, and I'm talking about Eastern time because that's where I grew up, and that's how TV is usually seen. Second season, Friends was in that 8 o'clock spot, and then they tried to use that as a lead-in for Jonathan Silverman's single guy and Boston Common. They, they were and, the kickoff to must-see TV. Yes, absolutely. And but, they were in the spot that quite honestly, was most set up to fail. Yeah, because there's no lead-in. There I mean, no the lead-in lead. is usually a game show, right? I mean, it's usually local like news, Jeopardy or absolutely. local news or, or something to that effect. But Friends was such a stud as a performer that they thought, okay, it can just lead in the night. It doesn't need its own lead-in. It's Friends. And it stayed there, folks, until the end. It never moved. And if you look at some of the shows that they followed it with, they got better. Just Shoot Me had a pretty decent run. I actually liked that show a good bit. Will and Grace originally premiered as an 8.30 show after Friends. It succeeded, and they were able to move that into the 9 o'clock spot. You had Scrubs was a direct follow to Friends. That had a nine-season run. So Friends, was, Friends became the kingmaker in a lot of ways on the most important primetime night because people don't know this, but Thursday night was so important to TV and advertising, because that, at the time, is where movie studios put their Friday, this is coming out tomorrow. Sure. So they had to pay a ton of money to get on NBC so that everybody knew that Die Hard was coming out the next day, because at that point in time, going to see it on Friday and having those eyeballs when everybody didn't have a TiVo or a DVR to skip those commercials, you were a captive audience to the movie studios which is why those ad rates were so big, and it's why you put everything on the Thursday night because the importance of Friday, the importance of that weekend, Friends made a ton of money, enough so that it generated an audience that it just continued to grow. We'll get into the finale ratings and things, so this is how we're going to do this. Originally, I was just like, all right, we can do a podcast. We'll see how long this goes. Then it morphed into we're going to do a month of these because this was a 10-season show. Well, how do you break it up? Well, we're going to do the first three seasons. Then we're going to do four through six. Then we're going to do seven through nine. And then we're going to do ten. And then we've got a pretty cool idea as well 
for that 10th. We'll talk about the final season, the overall impact of the show, and then we're going to do something special as well. You can tweet me at jmardzone. You can tweet at 104.5 The Zone and just kind of drop your friend's stuff. Drop your knowledge. Drop questions you want us to tackle because here's the thing. We know you're digging this. We know you're going to enjoy this. We are wondering how many people in the building, once they find out we're doing this, they're going to like just happen to pop in while we're recording and be like, hey, there's a couple of free microphones. I, I might sit here for five minutes talk about friends. I'm hoping that this pulls Kaharski what's and not, we find out what's what we never do. Hey, I should tell you before we get too far down the road on this, uh, Madman of the People was a one-season uh, vehicle for Dabney Coleman. Wow. A new, a New York newspaper columnist uses his column as a soapbox to oppose authority. First episode, twenty uh, September twenty second, nineteen ninety four. Final episode, June seventeenth, nineteen ninety five. Wow, short lived, not memorable. No, I didn't know. Da- I did not remember Dabney Coleman had a show on NBC at all. That's the first time I've heard Dabney Coleman's name in a while. <laughs> That's Madman of the People. Name my son Dabney. But yeah, so it went from L.A. Law to E.R. and E.R. hit. The same year Friends hit. So, boy, they got that one right. Yeah. There are sometimes when you throw things out and you say, I wonder if this is going to work, and it just, everything, it goes over like gangbusters, and that's one of those rare situations where everything worked. Yeah, and Warren Littlefield put out a book a few years ago. Warren Littlefield was kind of the guy behind must-see TV during that era. He's the guy that that decided, green-lighted Friends, green-lighted Mad About You, green-lighted Will and Grace, all of those shows. That book is well worth reading, folks. Because he goes into the minutiae of how they decided on it and how they cast friends in particular in great detail, which was fascinating. Just in terms of Courtney Cox audition for Rachel. That's all she wanted. She left the audition thinking she wasn't going to get it because of Aniston. And it turned out they created the Monica character and it turned out to be perfect for her. There's so many stories like that. Eric Stoltz and there's just a ton of stuff out there a wealth of material about this. But who does it end up being? Well, it turns out to be Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, Matthew Perry, Matt LeBlanc, and David Schwimmer. And we talk a lot, and I talk, and I've written a lot over the years about great ensemble casts. And this is one where you go back and you're like, man, these guys were talented. And we didn't know any of them. That, to me, is what makes this show so special, is that this show was a star maker for itself because I didn't know any of those six guys. None of them. And all of them have gone on to do something of importance after the fact. And it would be interesting to note that you would think that it would have been a few of them would have done better than they have, and it hasn't gone that way. They've all, But they've all gone their own separate ways. And even though there was originally potentially going to be a Monica and Chandler spinoff, Courtney Cox and Matthew Perry just said, you know, I think we've kind of gotten to the end of those characters. And I look at it, I think they got that right. Because I'm not saying that spinoff wouldn't have been good. I'm saying I liked where they ended their story. I'm fine with my imagination taking it. In three weeks, we'll talk about that and, and things like that. But so I watched this show the very first Thursday night it premiered. I remember it. Because I watched Thursday night NBC, just like I watched Friday night ABC. Maybe we'll do a month on Family Matters at some point. Perfect Strangers and all those shows as well, but (laughs) Growing Pains and the like. But Friends, I remember watching it and going to middle school the next day, and we were talking about Friends. And yeah, we were middle school boys, so a lot of that conversation surrounded Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) And as I've gotten older, and you and I both share this because we talked about it off air, Brad, Lisa Kudrow, when you look back on it now, oh, absolutely. is just one of the more just naturally just striking, attractive women we've ever seen on TV. Here's the thing I'm left with from the pilot of Friends. Looking back and and having all ten seasons to look back on, the writing of that show is so well done, and every character was so well developed that who they were in season one, episode one, the pilot, before they ever even knew it was going to be taken to a series, is who those characters were for the entire ten season. Now they evolved. Right. They were they they had different nuances added to them, but you knew after episode one 
what Chandler, what Joey, what Ross, what everyone was about. And, and in my mind, that is such a masterful stroke because you watch a lot of pilots and you watch a series you'll buy on DVD or whatnot and you watch the pilot and you say, this doesn't feel like it. You watch the Seinfeld pilot, which was the Seinfeld oh, yeah, totally Chronicles. Different. Yeah. Totally different thing. This show was laid out from episode one of this is exactly what this show is going to be. And to me, that is such uh, it's such a testament to the actors, the writers, and the vision. The vision's the, vision's the word. Yeah, the, the vision, vision was impeccable. And they laid out for you for what over the next 10 years you would see and what you would root for and what you would hope to attain within the first 20 minutes of the first episode. You had laid out almost the entire series. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. And... Those characters were true to themselves to the end. Now, they lived life, and their life would evolve them. But the way that everything played off itself, situation comedy was known for one thing above all else around the time Friends came, which was most of what you see is standalone content. Right. And one of the big reasons why is because once you hit 100 episodes of anything, it becomes something that can live in syndication, and you can end up selling it for a lot more money and it's so much easier to get something syndicated that doesn't require a refresher course every time you watch it. So Cosby Show, when you could use the Cosby Show, mm. was a perfect example. Cheers kind of bridged the gap because there were continuing storylines. There was Woody and Kelly. There was the Shelley Long deal with Kelsey Grammer as well as with Ted Danson. There were a number of different things that kept on, but... There was enough standalone. There was still, you're always going to get Norm and Cliff doing their thing. Friends, you said it best when we were just kind of discussing this yesterday, just, just ballyhooing around about it. It kind of was a soap opera in that everything that takes place on that show is pretty much relevant to everything else that takes place on that show. Even the smaller details. Yeah, there's some funny stuff that you can throw out. But there might be a reference to that a couple of seasons later that you will completely miss had you not watched what came before. You really want to aggravate me at 11 o'clock at night? It, it, I'll tell you how it happens. If I end an episode of Friends on Nick at Night and the next episode isn't the next episode. Yes. They jump ahead three episodes or they change seasons or whatever. To me, that's the beauty of, of block programming at night on Nick at Night where they run five or six episodes in a row. Is you're, I mean, if you're just... You know, checking email, catching up on work, doing those kinds of things, or just vegging out and trying to unplug. And you want to sit there for three hours and, and watch six episodes of Friends. I enjoy when it goes from the storytelling mode from one thing to the next. The thing about, we mentioned yesterday when we were talking in my office about Seinfeld. You could take a Seinfeld episode and... and it was created to nine, be about nothing. Nine times out of ten, that's independent. You know, there were things toward the end where George is engaged and, you know, that kind of carried over. But but every episode kind of seems to be independent of itself. The problems are resolved by the end. You move on. In these, lots of cliffhangers, lots of to be continued, lots of lots of unresolved things that from week to week you, you, you were going to pick up on as you went along. Yeah, and another show that – see, I – I don't think that you can talk about Friends without talking about other shows. And that's generally the way it goes with pop culture is how did this influence? What did this change? There have been a whole lot of shows that have tried to capture the Friends motif just like everything's tried to be lost and has failed. Whether it's the event on NBC or Manifest or, or whatever it might be. Fringe might have gotten it the most right because they said we're going to take a little bit of Lost and then we're going to take a little bit of CSI. And we're going to use the same people that created Lost and put on a show that, to me, is one of the two most underrated shows of my lifetime on television. But look at How I Met Your Mother, another show that I know you and I both watched because we discussed it as it was coming down to the end. How I Met Your Mother tried to set up almost the exact same thing, except that Marshall and Lily were already kind of a thing when the show began. But at the end of the first season, it ended on one of the saddest things I've ever seen in a comedy, which is Marshall sitting on the steps after Ted had gotten Robin and Marshall had lost Lily because she had had her, I'm going to go live my life moment, even though she would come back half a season later. But you kind of, again, you got to know who those characters were at the time, and they tried to weave stories. But one thing that I don't think that they did nearly as well as Friends is, when you've got a 24-episode season, 
there's going to be filler. There has to be. And you would get stuff like the ducky tie, which was very, very good from How I Met Your Mother. But you would also get eight to nine episodes that were totally useless. Oh, yeah. That just, I wish I had not even seen this sure. because I want to get back to the story. Total filler. Friends, even in the filler episodes, would do just enough around the main stories and the things that the writers knew you cared about to make it so everything felt essential. And that is a huge compliment to them because they put out a lot of episodes and there are very few of them that I go back and say, that was just totally useless. I wish I had not seen that. The great thing about Friends, and you're right, there are very few... There are very few moments in the entire 10-season run where you, you look at it and you feel like it, it as though it's filler. The thing that I keep coming back to and the thing that if I, if I allow myself to think about this, I get blown away by how much actually happened in the first season. And and I know that initially the early reviews of the show were kind of mixed. Right. A lot of people said it was just trying to be a, a, a knockoff of Seinfeld. The only reason it was on, you know, must-see TV is just because it was trying to replicate that formula. And so you wonder if they didn't give you as much as they gave you in season one because internally they wondered, this may be all we have to give. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So when I look back on season one and I think about I, – I go back and I see an episode as I'm watching it and I'm thinking, that had to be season three, two or three. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and it turns out it's not. Like I'll give you an example. The, the episode where um, Monica's credit card is stolen. Feels like an episode that should be three uh, three seasons in because everybody's characters are so well developed and and Monica kind of comes to appreciate herself a little bit more and you know, the whole manana and everything like that. <laughs> but that's that's season one. That's you know there's three episodes left in season one by the time that that episode rolls around. Everything about Marcel happens yeah. in season one for all it does, intents it felt and purposes. Like Marcel was with us for. Three or four years. First season. Yeah. Ross and Rachel. You know, we're, we've got the bait on the hook for Ross and Rachel 20 minutes into the first episode. And it seems like that for the entire first season, you know, you're building towards that, um, which you are. Uh, when you get to season two, it's, it's where kind of the Ross and Rachel roller coaster really begins. But so I go back to this idea of, just how much they gave us, you know, where, where you, where, you, you know, the, the blackout, you, you get, um, I think it's fascinating when you talk about the blackout. Another thing that we were looking at is that almost all the shows that ran that night on NBC, because they all took place in the same city, right? All of them had a blackout. That one was a direct tie to mad about you. And the blackout was actually caused on Mad About You. Yeah. So if you watched Mad About You, you understood why there was a blackout. And then by that point, you get to Friends. And Friends is, is the episode. And it's to me, it's just one of the greatest. Where Chandler gets locked inside the ATM vestibule with uh, Victoria's Secret model Jill Goodacre. Yeah. That's also where we meet Paolo for the first time, which oh. is the first roadblock to Ross and Rachel. Roadblocks is a, is a good thing to talk about. Because roadblocks define this show in many ways. But they did it better than a lot of other series. One that I've mentioned many times is The Office, which is they did what they could to keep Jim and Pam away from each other, but they did it in an obnoxious way where you just wanted to see those two together and it felt like, okay, this is a construct by a script to keep these people apart because we have to fill X amount of episodes per season. How I Met Your Mother, good Lord. Yeah. It was frustrating, to say the least. Like eight years of stall tactics. Yes, and I think that the problem is you all knew where it was going to end. Sure. You knew Jim and Pam were going to get together. You knew in some form Robin and Ted were going to be a thing. I mean, they put Barney into that thing for years, and then it came to just let Barney and Robin be happy. I felt bad for Barney. It was terrible. Yeah. It was brutal, especially when we met the mother, and she was great. When Kristen Milioti actually showed up. And, and then she was Spoiler wonderful. alert. <laughs> yeah, spoiler. If you haven't watched it, it's all right. Ted ends up with blue hair. <laughs> and then for some reason, in the final sequence, but she dies But of spoiler cancer. alert, they kill the mom within a half hour of us finally letting, you know, like really accepting the fact that she's the mother. Yes. So, but Friends was able to kind of navigate through that 
a lot of a lot better. When I'm looking at the first season, one that stands out to me is the one with all the poker. Because oh, this great. was another moment where friends showed depth. Because as funny as it was, and as many one-liners as we will talk about over the next month, there's also that these people are real and that there's actual conflict. Like Rachel and Ross right there, where Rachel would not give in. And he was basically saying, do this. Right. Stop it. Let your pride down. That, to me, was another level for this show that maybe we weren't anticipating that it was going to also have serious moments, which was a good foreshadowing because it definitely had serious moments all the way through these 10 seasons. There were some tense moments. There were some moments, uh, you know, when you when you fast forward perhaps to season, uh, would that be season two or season three? Season three, when Ross and Rachel go on a break and, and Ross... Uh, sleeps with another young woman, and yeah. and then there's this moment where they're they're. I mean, half the episode is them, you know, fighting and trying to work it out, and it's uncomfortable. Thirteen pages, <laughs> front and back. <laughs> but you know, it's it's uncomfortable when when they're when they're working through those things. But it's one of those things that made the show so relatable because you saw. You know, you saw the other group of friends when they're hiding in the bedroom and listening to them yell at each other through the wall, and they're having these conversations about our, our group will never be the same. You know, how's this? How's this going to affect all of us? And and you know, you've probably been in a situation like that in your group of friends or in your life where you think, oh gosh, you know, this is this is horrible. Yeah, this is bad news, and it's not going to get remedied. And I also think it's intriguing that you know, there's there's that Saved by the Bell Tory paradox. It's out there about why Tori showed up and where she was in the high school and what happened to Kelly Kapowski and right. Jesse Spano at that point in time. And Chuck Klosterman, who's a really good pop culture writer, went into detail and put out a theory about how, look, when you're in high school, sometimes, even though they're still your friends, they're just not around you as much. They're in different classes. Sure. And so things just shifted, but they were still in the high school during that time frame. These are six people that were trying to do life. And I think that's why Friends endures because... I can relate to that. I can relate to being in my late 20s and into my early 30s trying to figure out what the heck I was doing, like where I was going to end up. I had relationships at the time that were toxic. I had things that needed to be severed. I had things that needed to be nurtured. Uh, I made mistakes with money. You know, I certainly made mistakes in relationships. All of these things and laughter and humor generally come best when they're relatable. When a joke is just totally insane you'd better be bob einstein who sadly passed away just a little while ago you've got to be brilliant to pull that kind of thing off robin williams somebody like that this humor was relatable because even though i was too young at the time and the reason i think it endures is because this is like a snippet of everyone's life at some point even though i never lived in new york in an apartment that i probably could not have afforded and things of that nature i had friends just like this that were basically like a pack. And these six people were a pack that pretty early on cared about each other on a completely different level from basically everybody else that they encountered in their lives. The great thing about Friends, when you compare it to other series in that same time frame, is that 25 years later, it doesn't feel dated. No. I, I caught an episode last night where... Of course you did. It was the. It was actually the season finale... Uh, of season two and Chandler is talking to a woman online and he actually makes reference that what are you doing and he's holding a laptop and he says oh I'm, I'm chatting with a girl on the internet and they <laughs> and they give him grief about it like he's a nerd for having you know an online relationship you fast forward to 2019 it's how everybody meets people these days. And so it's funny that that to me is one of the few references that feels kind of dated, even though they, they you know, they, they kind of introduce cell phones as needed here and there. You watch a Seinfeld episode and, you know, they can't find their car in the parking lot or they can't meet up at the movie theater at the right time yeah. because nobody has cell phones and so nobody can coordinate. Right. And that's such a dated idea now. Yes. It, Friends never really put themselves in that situation to where an episode felt completely dated. And so 25 years later, even you know, episodes from season one still feel as current as they would have felt today, where, you know, again, you know, the, get the blackout and Chandler is locked in an ATM vestibule and he calls, you know, to the apartment and says, you know, I'm stuck. Yeah. You know, that, you know, so it, that to me is the beauty of Friends is, is that. You can watch it today and still feel like it's happening in modern-day 
Manhattan. Yeah, and I think the reason why is because it didn't rely on its gimmicks. Its gimmicks were there, but there's something that's timeless in our lives, and as we get older, we start to realize it. It's how we interact with each other. It's our communication. It's our experiences. It's not the stuff. It's not the things. It's not this technology. It's not that event or whatever like that. It's the people in our lives, and Friends was centered around the interpersonal relationships of these six people. That's timeless. That's something that's never going to be out of style and I think it takes me back to a place where the cell phone wasn't in front of me at every second when I didn't have a piece of glass that I was able to live vicariously through and actually had to look out at other human beings and interact with them. But stuff like Seinfeld relied on the time period a lot more than Friends did. And I think that that, that stands out. All right, I want to play a game with you. All right. This is going to be kind of one of those situations where um, later in Friends – Phoebe was telling Joey how to make a decision. She says, I'm going to give you words, and you give me the first thing that comes to mind. It'll work a little bit like that. All right. So let's just say someone's listening to this podcast, and they've never seen Friends. To me, the beauty of the, of the characters of Friends is that they are so relatable. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a character from Friends, and you explain within a handful of words what that character is. And, and, and we're going to introduce all six people. All right. I feel like you're equipped for this. I, th- I think so. Okay. I'm a little, it's a little pressure here, but we'll do this. We'll start with the layup. All right. Chandler Bing. Uh, very uptight, um, more of an office environment guy. He was me in a lot of ways because I think he used sarcasm and some of his quick wit as a defense mechanism against insecurity. He was a guy that was trying to find himself in a lot of ways, but he was not loose. He was tightwad. We're going to mix this up. Phoebe Buffet. Phoebe was the eccentric hippie more so than anything else. She's the one you could see living in a yurt. Instead of a house, right. she performed at the coffee shop. Uh, music that anybody listening to this, you've been to the coffee shop and rolled your eyes because somebody has a guitar and you just want your latte. You want to be <laughs> left the heck alone. But uh, also somebody with a really good heart, but kind of a ditz in some ways. Joey Tribbiani. Kind of a ditz <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. Absolutely. He was the leading man type. He would be the soap opera actor guy later on but he was the one that was always kind of i think he was the dreamer maybe of of all six of them he was the dreamer he was the one that thought he could be the a-list movie actor and date the l mcpherson types and and things of that nature but also a dude with a really good heart underneath all of that yeah monica geller uptight again she was the female chandler in many ways and she was somebody that smoking hot that used to be smoking not (laughs) that she went and i think that's how she acted in her life in some ways there was a quiet arrogance and superiority that would reflect on how much of a perfectionist she was around other people because she went from the fat girl nobody wanted to talk to in high school to the it girl that got magnum pi ross geller (laughs) the nerd I mean, he could have hung out with Louis Skolnick uh, in Revenge of the Nerds. He was a, a dinosaur scientist, I guess. You know, he, was, he did various things of that nature. He was book smart, and he would have no problem telling you. Uh, but he also had eccentric hobbies. I think Ross was the one that I initially liked the most of the guys just because he was so ridiculous. And I think he, he was also tortured in many respects because of his first marriage. And the fact that his wife turned out to be a lesbian and there was still a child involved and there was there was a depth there. And, of course, he was also Monica's brother. Rachel Green. No common sense. Had kind of lived with a silver spoon in her mouth. Didn't even know how to work a real job. Didn't know how to be a coffee waitress. Wanted more. Wanted to work in fashion. Looked like a million dollars, obviously, but she had gotten some work done to her nose. <laughs> from where she had been at one point in time. But she's the, see, I don't know if I'd call her the girl next door, but she's definitely the one that you would see, we would see, and just immediately be like, yeah, she's probably unattainable in in many ways. But I think that early on, a little bit selfish, a little bit self-absorbed, and I think that it, all of these characters broke down some of their negative characteristics by the end of the show, which is something Seinfeld never did. 
Seinfeld, that was one of the things Their about the end. never evolved. They were put in jail because they never involved, right. be- evolved, because they were so selfish. So all these things that I'm saying that are negative about these characters are the quirks that made them who they were, but through their relationships with one another, whether they were romantic entanglements or just friendships or just being there for one another, they all sort of became more human by the end of it. She perhaps evolved the most. Yes. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. All right. So last question. Who do you view if you had to pick a lead male character and a lead female character for friends? I'd be interested to see who you would view as the leads. Hmm. Because I think I may have a different answer. Well, I mean, there's the story that went around that you talk about how these these people enjoyed working together. That was clear. There was chemistry on screen with all of them. Any combination of them worked. And then there was Aniston and Schwimmer were the two that the network loved. That they saw stardom in. Ross and Rachel was the relationship as well. It's the it's the one everybody wanted to see on screen and the one that would follow the show until its very bitter end. And so they wanted to pay them more money. And Schwimmer and Aniston said, no, we will be paid if you we can all get raises, but we're all going to make equal money. That's unreal. It's almost unheard of. It really is. To basically sacrifice and say, look, no, we're we're not going to get paid more than Courtney and, and Lisa and and Matt and and Matt. It it almost cost them the show. Yes. But it probably saved the show. It certainly made everyone feel like they were in it together. And if anybody was gonna leave the show and go off on their own, I feel like that's the kind of moment that gels somebody and you're just like, No, I'm not gonna leave these people because it's never gonna get better than this. So you're never gonna have a group like this. So I would say that the two leads Ross and I I mean you would probably I'm starting to think more Ross and Monica than I used to. I would have said Ross and Rachel, but I really feel like if you really look at it, Ross's friend was Chandler. That's how we even get to Joey. Mm-hmm. Monica's friend was Rachel, and then came Phoebe. Like it's, just, it, yeah. I feel like they were the two, like if you were putting a Venn diagram together, sure. they're the two characters that allowed for everybody else. It's funny because... From moment one, and I think it was because their proximity, because they lived across the hall from each other, I viewed the show as two apartments. There were the guys, there were the girls. And the alphas, in my mind, were Chandler and Monica. Mm. And so fitting that as, as the season wore, as the series wore on, they end up as an item. But I always viewed Chandler as the one that, to me, stirred the drink. And from the female's perspective, Monica was the, the one that the storyline but i but i've ta- i've had that conversation with several people and i almost always get a different answer because i think they watch it people watch it and they relate to certain characters oh, right absolutely or you know certain actors for whatever reason and it's so i always find it fascinating to see if you watch friends who are the characters that you're just kind of drawn towards yeah and i think that that's unique about this show because you know going back to the office we were all pretty much jim everybody that watched that show was jim and or Pam like those were the two characters and everybody else was completely out of there so you knew who you were supposed to relate to how I met your mother I don't even know that you could relate to anybody exactly I think that some people probably related to Lily at times Marshall probably more so than some of the others but there was never that like I never saw one character said I'm definitely Ted Mosby right because they changed Ted Mosby into an ass later on in the run True. and made him hard to like and they made robin extremely hard to like and then down they, the stretch and they took barney as being completely unlikable though in- incredibly funny yes to being arguably the most likable character on the show absolutely and the one maybe with the most heart on the show and they screwed him over totally screwed him over <laughs> i mean just screwed him just, over just jacked him up just just ruined i mean it. not as bad as the mother i mean she died yeah they did kill her off <laughs> but they i mean you know barney's fate might have been worse than death but i mean if you were saying what are the leads of a show like how i met your mother well you'd really just say it's ted yeah he's the main character yeah i mean he's the he's the narrator it's it's his story friends you could make i don't think you could make a phoebe argument that she was the lead but I don't think that you could make an argument that any of the six were more important necessarily to what was going on than anybody else. Have you ever heard the Phoebe theory? The Phoebe theory. We've already talked about the Tory paradox from Saved by the Bell. So it's pretty dark. But there's this theory that's gone around that the entire series of Friends was nothing more 
than a figment of Phoebe Buffay's imagination that she was lonely. She had no friends. She was lonely and living in New York and playing a guitar on the side of the street for money and that the entire series plays out in her head as a coping mechanism for how to stay, you know, how to basically keep her. It's 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 really interesting. Wow. It's like, it's like Phoebe's homeless, and everything that happens in the show is just a manifestation of her mind. So Phoebe was Mr. Wendell. <laughs> I've heard that once, and then I watch it, and I'm thinking, I don't want to believe that this is true. Ah, man. Yeah, it says friends fan theory super dark interpretation could ruin your memories. Yeah, it says it says every kooky aside, every oh, yeah. episode that she made, everything was about her, and every instance was how much of an outsider she was. So it all makes sense. So all ten seasons were merely her fevered imagination projecting herself into the lives of the other five because all she ever wanted was friends. The final scene would be Phoebe walking away from Central Perk with the Ross, Rachel, Joey Chandler, and Monica Carriers making making a reference to the crazy lady who always stares at us. <laughs> I'm going to pretend that that's not what the show was because man, that could really be something. I uh that's how they happen. That's how they uh that's how they get everybody back together for the reunion. I mean, she did have everybody had dark moments during the show. Early on, Ross was sort of the sad sack. Well, he was kind of sad sack the whole time because he was a hi. Uh, it yeah, was I his mean, first that was line. His thing. Yeah, his his opener was hi. And you know. you know, I mean, he his face lended itself to that. It did. No offense to Schwimmer, but Schwimmer's face really just kind of felt right for the Eeyore. Yes, of Friends, and so he made sense in that place. And then when you, of course, you got to the maybe one of the best episodes of a television sitcom or or anything honestly i've ever seen is the prom video episode so the prom video episode i'm trying to remember where that fell was that later in the series no or was that pretty early i think it was fairly i think it was fairly early. oh you know what i think it was it was season two yeah that's what i'm thinking it was season two after julie had kind of come and gone i'll tell you what happened so ross when he's trying to decide between julie and rachel makes a list of pros and cons on Chandler's laptop. Am I right so far? Yeah, it was second se- it was second season episode 14, so it was the 38th episode of the show. Rachel discovers the fact that Ross has created a list of cons about her and uh you know, conveniently ignoring the fact that the biggest con about Julie was that she's not Rachel. Yes. And that's the only thing. I mean, to be honest. So they so again, here's the tease. We're getting together. She reads the list. No, we're not. And then the prom video where she finally realizes that for all these years, he's cared nothing more in his life about than than Rachel Green. And they finally end up together for a pretty good bit. Yeah. So even though they went awkward with it real early with the the Chris Isaac playing. Yes. At the at the planetarium. Yes. Yeah. Yes. With the kids. And Chris Isaac then, of course, would show back up on the show later. In Central Park with Phoebe. Oh, that was just my juice box. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. My girlfriend was was asking me who that was. I'm like, Chris Isaac. She's like, no, that's not Chris <laughs> Isaac. I'm like, look it up. Dude had one song of note. That's right. Wicked Game. That's Is that right. right? Yeah. I mean, good for him. I'm glad he had that one song. But, the, yeah, the prom video was the 14th episode of second season. And it's the way that it played out. Watching the video... And just the whole idea that Donkey Lips from Salute Your Shorts was Monica's <laughs> boyfriend. That's right. In that episode. That's right. Salute Your Shorts is, I can do two months on Salute Your Shorts. That was the first time that we saw, pardon the expression, Fat Monica. That's right. And that was when the how many cameras are on you joke right. came from. <laughs> that camera adds 10 pounds. Yeah, how many cameras are on you. But, I mean, you saw, and then, you, of course, you saw the Geller parents and how that whole thing played out and how Ross was getting psyched up by his father to try and talk to Rachel, who he clearly had had a crush on for a long, long time. And then uh, first of many times that it would be brought up is Ross was doing his music. Yes. And we'll get to his music. Casio keyboard. Yes, which was absolutely fantastic, especially with Phoebe's reaction to it, which was priceless. But, and he gets ready and the, when it got really good was the be cool be cool, be cool. And he's ready, and he's, you know, he's primped up, looking all 
Mr. Carter, he's the way that Joey played it he's out. He's wearing his dad's tuxedo. Yes. So it's all going to set up, and then the guy shows up. And I think it's another, a perfect... Another roadblock. Another roadblock that replicated the roadblocks that we had already seen between the two of them in the episodes that had come before and ones that would then come later on. It was sort of, this is how this dude's life has gone. His wife, roadblock. Rachel, roadblock. He created his own roadblock. When she was ready for him, and then she leaves, and you see him destroyed, and then you hear the parents. This is the part that I think people forget, is the mother saying, turn that off, because they're sad for him, because they knew how much he cared about it. And, of course, he's standing by the door with the Eeyore face, because he knows how this video ends. And in that moment, you see, to me, that's the best acting I saw from Aniston early on in the show was her reaction when she saw that for the first time, got up. Monica says, I can't believe you did that. And she walks over, and they have that kiss. And then Phoebe, of course, has the line of the episode with it. He's a lobster. He's her lobster. That's right. It was that, that episode, if there was nothing before that that hooked me, that was just like, okay, this show knows exactly what it's doing. And I can watch it 24 and a half years later. Every time that episode is on, whether I happen to be just scrolling through something or if I just actually seek it out, I stop and I watch that. There are very few sitcom episodes that stuck with me the way that particular episode did, more so than standing outside Central Park in the rain and that whole moment between Ross and Rachel. This was the one that, to me, showed the the heart because all six of them are in the room watching this, and all of the other four are elated that this gets revealed in that moment. You can see a genuine smile on Chandler's face. There's no insult there. You can see genuineness on Joey's face. Monica's smiling. Phoebe makes her comment. These are six people that loved each other in that moment, and we're so happy to see those two get together. And that's that's a real rarity, especially in situation comedy. Yeah. And just to, and and finally the clearing of a roadblock. Yes. Because, you know, in, in season one, the roadblock is Paolo. In season two, at the end of season one, the beginning of season two, the roadblock is Julie. Yes. And then, you know, then they have the falling out. Then the, the, the prom episode. Then they decide to take a break because Rachel's work gets in the way and then Ross has a misstep. And they don't get them back together until after season three and it doesn't take. And then you talk about the cliffhangers at the end of each season. What, we were really well done. Extremely well done. Like, I can't wait for the next season to start to see exactly what they're doing. Hard to imagine now having to wait three or four months for resolution on those things when now you know it comes on in two minutes on Nick at Night. Yeah, I wonder if people that are watching it on Netflix that never saw the show, younger audiences maybe, if they feel the same way that I did watching the show live and having to wait. Same thing I feel about Lost. You can go through Lost right now and not have to worry about a week between cliffhanger every week and sometimes months because abc would run four reruns in a row and then wait until the next month before they got to the next episode now you can plow right through and get your mysteries answered i almost think that it was better to consume friends this way because friends became a water cooler show nationally they talked about it on you know various entertainment shows it was all through magazines and it wasn't necessarily about the lives of the actors as much as it was What are they going to do with the show? What's going to happen next with the show? The first season ends with a cliffhanger spot where Rachel's at the airport. She's ready. She's figured this out. Oh, my God, you know, Ross loves me and and all this kind of stuff, and I think I love him too, and I'm going to tell him so. Roadblock. And she doesn't even see the roadblock. We do. The audience is given that opportunity. We're brokenhearted for her. We know how it's going to end for her. But we don't even get to see that end. We know that the next season is going to start with straight-up heartbreak for Rachel Green because he's going to walk off that airplane with Julie, who we've already seen on the airplane. And then how was it that season two ended? Um, what did they do at the end of season two? Season two wasn't nearly as big of a, of, a, of a cliffhanger except that Chandler's mystery woman, who was his online date, turned out to be Janice. Oh, Janice. But Maggie also, Wheeler. But that also was... Chan, uh, no, uh, apologies, Monica having to break up with Richard because Richard wasn't interested in having children. Yeah, that was the wedding of Barry, who was Rachel's... That's right. Uh, the one that she walked away from in the pilot. Right. Uh, and, Mindy, and Mindy, who was played by a different actress in that episode than the original Mindy, which was 
Jennifer Grey from yes. Ferris Bueller and Dirty Dancing. Yes. A lot of people don't even like notice that it's a completely different actress. There's so much time passing between the two appearances. But uh, that, that one wasn't so much a heartbreaker as here comes Janice and she's right back into the fold. That's more of a funny one where it's it, just it like, really oh, was. here we go with this. It and really then season was. three opened with the Leia fantasy. Yes, that's which right. Which was one of the more memorable episodes because, well, we are dudes that talk sports talking about friends, but we're also two dudes. And <laughs> the Princess Leia fantasy was... <laughs> but the great, the great takeaway for the Princess Leia fantasy was that... So the backstory was that Rachel told Phoebe that Ross had the Princess Leia fantasy, which upset Ross because he then realized that women tell their friends everything. So he and Chandler have a conversation that we should be able to share those kinds of things. And so he shares the Princess Leia fantasy. And then Chandler shares, do you, do you ever find yourself like during during intercourse and you know, you're trying to you know, kind of ease up. And so you like, think about your mom and he says, what? And no, what are you talking about? And so then at the very end of the episode, when Rachel decides that she's going to wear the, the princess Leia bikini, he looks up at her and all he sees is his mother in the princess Leia bikini. And he says, you know, I'm going to kill Chandler. (laughs) And then, then the end of season three, they're at the beach, the beach, the, the two episodes at the beach are some of my favorites. Christine, um, well, she played Marsha Brady. She did. And she looked exactly like Marsha Brady. Married Ben Stiller in real life. But she was Bonnie, the bald-headed Bonnie, friend. Bonnie, yes. Yeah. And she was uh, intentionally bald. But she shows back up, and she has hair. And so, whereas Rachel had said to Phoebe, sure, you can set Ross up with your bald-headed friend. When she shows up and she's a gorgeous blonde, she has a little bit more trouble with it. Uh, so there's all kind of subplots there, including Monica getting stung by the jellyfish. Oh, yes. And uh, the whole storytelling thing of someone having to pee on it. Yes. Yeah, and that uh, that's one of my favorite two episodes back-to-back. And that, of course, is the Ross-Rachel kind of coming apart again. Yeah, you think you think that the roadblock of everything is going to be resolved and they're finally going to get together. The, the, the problem is there are just too many issues, and Ross falls asleep reading the letter and is forced to basically say whether or not he says he'll take complete credit or responsibility for the breakup, and he does without realizing what he'd read because Rachel had written him a letter that was 13 pages front and back. Yes, and he fell asleep. Yeah, he, yeah, he fell asleep, as would I, as a long letter. So by this point, I think, as you get to the end of season three, it feels like to me I still never for a second didn't think Ross and Rachel would end this show together. Now, there were many folks that would say, oh, this got so annoying and the Ross-Rachel thing. I, you know, I read many things about just break them up already and just end it and all this kind of stuff. It felt like that's what the show was about, and during the process – of writing the show, they figured out, no, we can actually do some other things that are going to make this, they're going to flesh this out and they're going to make you care because as much as I was ready for the Ross and Rachel thing to happen when it finally did for good, I guess it did for good because we only saw the reunion part of it, really. Uh, We'd all like to believe that it it worked for good. I think as we move forward to podcasts over the next couple of weeks, there was another storyline that to me completely dwarfed it and actually is why the show is as good as it is because they took the Ross Rachel importance and they were able to then place that on a couple of other characters. And at the same time, they didn't forget about Joey and Phoebe. Joey and Phoebe just bounced around through various relationships and, and, and all of those things. But I think that there were always three matched pairs to this show. I also think it's good that Joey and Phoebe never happened Yeah, as, as that kind of thing. Because they needed to, there needed to be some outliers. Things don't work where six friends are together and three of them end up as couples. And they never, they never actually did that. Were there any other standalones during the first three seasons that, or not standalones, but just ones that were more, a little bit more quirky than usual that that may have stood out? I mean, there was Chandler and Joey with the chick and the duck. That was a nice little, just little minor plot that they were able to kind of keep alive. For a few times, there was a dollhouse involved at one point. I mean, there were still a lot of things going on. And, of course, you would say that I guess the biggest guest star or the biggest recurring guest star was Richard. 
the Tom Selleck character that you wow. weren't sure when it first happened that it was going to be as big a deal as it was, and then it totally made sense, and Selleck nailed that, that role. That's another that's another storyline that feels like it should have fallen later in the show, mm-hmm. but it was actually season two, really early in, in, in the, the life of the series. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, I don't know if it was like Monica's first evolution, but it was also a situation where so many comedies rely on misunderstandings for their humor. Now, Friends did not go to that well nearly as often as, I mean, home improvement basically subsisted on misunderstandings. Modern Family has won I don't know how many awards. Every episode, the same basic misunderstanding. Frasier was a misunderstanding from start to finish. It was people not telling the entire truth and then leading to all sorts of hijinks. So it did not really happen uh, from that perspective, I would say for for friends in that way, except that here you had the parents knowing Richard, knowing is like oh she's with some floozy or he's with some floozy. Right. It turns out it's their daughter, right. and she knows the story. So they they were able to kind of weave that in. But again, when when I say standalone, you just can't. I mean, the Thanksgiving episodes were always really good. Monica with the turkey on her head, and, yes. But them playing football, the football game. That's uh that's a big one. Hey, we're we're two, two dudes talking about sports. Yeah, the other thing that I always liked was when they would do the episodes that weren't actually reality. It's it's it would be the one with the flashback or the oh, ones, those are great. The, the ones, ones where you that, find out how Chandler and right, like the one in the that took place in the bar. Yes, or a large part of it. That's took right. Place in before the bar. before the coffee house, it was a bar. Right. Uh, that was in in season three. The uh, the the one that I think gets hidden is the one with Frank Jr. But that's the episode where Ross... It's a weird episode. It is a strange episode. But it's the one where they're talking about their celebrity list. And if they had a get-out-of-jail-free card for their relationships, who would be the five celebrities on their list? And so, you know, Ross has all kinds, but one of them includes Isabella Rossellini, yeah. who uh, he eventually takes off of his list, and then she walks into the coffee house in a... In a, in a kind of a brilliant stroke of writing and he has to get up and explain to her that uh she she's he's got the green light to pursue uh you know an evening with Isabella Rossellini but uh yeah the list is laminated and she's not on it because he considered her too international yeah you remember we were we were talking before we started recording about the Xerox and and that whole deal and that's just another example of how this show never really forgot some of its details and were able to play back into its own history to create things that if you're not paying, I didn't even remember this. Of course, you did. Uh, just the idea that she popped back up yeah, in a major role. In a major role. Friends never made the mistake of creating huge plot holes for themselves. Yes, that's very true. And, and, and that is why you can look up and, you know, they had to change. You know, the actress that plays Carol in the first episode is not the actress that plays Carol later on and all those kinds of things. Those happen, and if you're really paying attention... You notice them, but friends never painted themselves into a corner of a plot that when you look back on it, you would say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't jive. Right. Uh, they were very mindful of that. And, and a lot of credit goes to the writers and the people in charge of continuity for never letting it get off the rails and take a direction that would run counter to anything else they've laid out, especially once you start introducing these shows that are flashback episodes that would have happened three, four years before the show premiered. They didn't mess up the continuity of things that were still to come. Yeah. And the Xerox example... That was what? Was that season one where the first part of that happened, or was it two and three? Season three. It was the first episode of season three. They introduced the quote-unquote hot girl at the Xerox place with the belly button ring. Right. And um, Chandler just wanting to get something copied just because going he to just get wants to go copied. see her. Right. And then she's brought up again as a total, like, just comment and aside. Have you been down hanging out with the hot girl from the Xerox place? And it turns out that the Ross and Rachel relationship is broken up because Ross... When they're on a break. ends up in a, When they're on a break, ends up sleeping with the girl from the Xerox place yes. with the belly button ring. Yes. And so you don't even realize as you're being introduced to this character when she's not on screen, you know, eight episodes before she's a thing, that she's going to end up being a huge part of season three. And it's a really it's a really smart move by the writers to introduce this, or at least at some point to just adapt that concept into the person that would end up, uh, you know, kind of unraveling that entire relationship. So, I mean, we can do hours just on every season, but if you had to sum up the first three years of Friends, how do you feel about it when you when you've gone back and looked at it again? 
when I initially watched it, and then when I went back, when they put out the full Blu-ray set a few years ago, I caught it on a sale uh, when it first released. I was like, this is something I probably should just have in my collection because if it ever gets taken down off of Netflix, I don't want to have to watch this on TBS or, sure. or something like that. I want to have it. Plus, there's a lot of bonus features and things like that. But first three seasons of Friends, when you go back and watch it, you talked about the first season of Seinfeld. Not very good. First season of The Office was not very good. They actually, their ratings were down, and they did a focus group, and they said, what's wrong with this adaptation of The Office? And it was that Michael Scott was mean, mm-hmm. that he was not funny, he was a cruel boss, and that this show's supposed to be a subversion of hierarchy, like Bakhtin's Carnival, and so you had to make him a bumbling buffoon. So instead of the slick back hair that you saw in the early episodes of The Office, all of a sudden he starts looking like Steve Carell. And then they bring in some of his idiot friends, and he's stumbling and fumbling and falling, and the smartest people in the office are Pam and Jim, basic employees. And that kind of shifted it around. But many seasons, as you were talking about earlier, the entire first season feels like an introduction. And by the time you get to it, you're like, all right, now we know what's going on. Second year is going to be great. It's why, in most cases, USA Network shows in particular, second and third seasons, second seasons when it starts to really build, third is when it's at its peak from a ratings perspective, and then it tries to hang on, and then it usually goes too long, and they recycle plots, and they keep on going down. From the pilot of Friends, this show knew what it was, it had its identity, and it holds up from the start better than almost any of its peers. In my mind, the first three episodes, or rather the first three seasons are the three seasons I can't live without. Those are the most formative, they are the most... Um, Iconic. They, to me, are the most entertaining. I, I said to you yesterday that I thought Chandler Bing lost a little bit of his cutting edge after the first three episodes. In the first, you know, the, not the first three, I keep saying that, the first Season. three seasons. In the first few episodes, someone would run into the room and say, guess what, guess what? And he'd say, oh, I don't know, the fifth in his cave, and now still they're all great, still, recommending Trident. Still, I think, our favorite line in the whole series, both of us. And he still had a few of those as, as things wore on, but his, his character was so established that he didn't have to do those anymore. But the first three seasons to me, if you say pick three and you can only watch three, those, those would be the three that I would ask for. I think another thing is that of all six of these characters, you wanted the best for all of them. There wasn't someone you were rooting against. I don't think that that was always true for many of the shows that have tried to imitate Friends. And there are a number of them. Traffic Light on Fox, which no one watched. It was actually pretty good. I mean, there have been a number of these shows. Jason Biggs did a show with Sarah Chalk on CBS that didn't even make it one season. This this formula attempted to be replicated, but I think that just like you know, we watch pro wrestling and you see them trying to recapture Steve Austin and Vince McMahon over and over again, not realizing that the reason that worked is because Vince allowed himself to be made a fool of and his daughter will not. Right. And so you can't ever recapture that. There was never a show that has tried to be friends that made you root hard all the time, constantly, with almost no breaks for all of the six characters. I wanted the best for Phoebe, the best for Joey. Chandler, when his character got deeper, and the Monica thing happened, I felt like I was in the room. I was just like, because I, I want to be Chandler in that moment. I want that to happen in my life. You never rooted against Monica. You never rooted against Rachel. You never rooted against any of these people. And I think that's why it becomes what I call a blue show, which is something I've talked about on this show. I've talked about it on the Big Six, which is I created the idea of a red and a blue show. Red show is something you've got to really pay attention to. Sit down. It's going to affect your mood. It's True Detective. It's Mad Men. It's Breaking Bad. It's The Wire. It's heavy material. And then there's a blue show, and it got red because it's a stop sign. It's like, whoa, you've got to pay attention to this. This Be in the right mood for this because this could send you to bed in a different way. Then there's a blue show, which is something you can put on while you're cleaning the house and talk along with it, something that you can play with your kids, something you can make dinner, uh, something you can you know be with your girlfriend on the couch, whatever it is, and it can just be a part of the atmosphere surrounding you. Friends to me is an ultimate example of a blue show. But it's also one that if you want to sit there and pay attention to it, it's worth the attention that you pay to it. And it was from the beginning. One thing I'd like to discuss next time we get together, and I don't want to answer it right here because I want the people listening to this podcast to think about this and maybe reach out to us on social media and let us know what they think. Did this show ever jump the shark? It's funny because that's a phrase that some people think jumped the shark. 
that jumped the shark actually may have jumped the shark. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good stopping point. That's a good uh, it's a good cliffhanger. We're in the we're <laughs> I'm on an airplane right now <laughs> with Julie. Yes, I'm quietly standing in the tar <laughs> in the tarmac with a bouquet of roses. We are wanting t- to know if we ever jumped the shark. We are two dudes at 104.5 The Zone that make our living talking about sports. That just talked about friends for one hour and four minutes, and that's just three seasons, and we barely even scratched the surface. We'll get more detail oriented as we go along. This is going to be fun. Tweet me at jmartzone. Tweet, uh, tweet at one zero four five the zone. Jmartclone at gmail dot com. You can email me as well. What did we not hit on that you want us to hit on? We'll lead off with that when we start next week's podcast. So let us know the questions you want to ask. What you remember from the show, or you can call us idiots for doing this. You're just wrong. That's that's just that's just <laughs> how that goes. So Brad, this is fun, and we've got three more of these to go, and. Now I've just got to go do some homework because now we've got time to kind of go back and look at four through six because I, all I've been trying to pay attention to is one through three. Season four is next. Yes. Looking forward to starting it. All right. Four, five, and six still to come. This has been the Pop Six. We will see you next week as our deep, deep retrospective dive into Friends continues. Appreciate it. See you guys.